Two of the passages that we have been looking at over the course of this series have been out of John chapter 6 and Mark chapter 10. And last week I finished up another thought on John chapter 6. That was where the crowds were coming and Jesus was feeding them. And then when he got down to some harder teachings, they kind of dispersed. You could tell the fans from the followers. The other passage which I want you to turn to now, excuse me, is Mark chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles, turn to that. This seems to be this rich young ruler, just kind of the poster child for what we've been going through uh, in this fan versus follower series. He just works so well to show us. Uh, And I'm going to cover now a portion that I've not covered before over the last couple of weeks when I've shared about his life, and that is at the end what Jesus says about the rewards of following Jesus, that there is a reward for following him. And those rewards are not just here to come. They're not just in heaven, but they're here now. In other words, when we die to ourselves, when we follow Jesus wholeheartedly, There are blessings, there are rewards, both now and in the future. Or to say it another way, there's a payoff. It's not just some sort of, you know, we're going to get to be in heaven someday and we're happy and have this eternal experience, but our faith makes a difference today. Our faith makes a difference in how we live today. Our faith makes a difference in how God's involved in our lives, and we have a God who wants to be involved in our lives and who cares about our every detail that we go through in life. Jesus is here to bless us and to make life even here more joyful, not just the life to come. So sometimes I think we kind of forget that. And it's interesting in this passage, I'm reminded of it. So let me kind of go back and share with you just a little bit. Mark chapter 10, we we recall how the rich young man or the rich young ruler came up to Jesus, knelt down and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus has this dialogue with him that tells him, you know, keep those commandments. And the man uh, kind of... uh, stops him and says, you know what, I've, I've kept those commandments, I've been doing that. And then Jesus says, well, here's really what now I want to tell you, what's keeping you from following me is your stuff. So go sell that, give that to the poor, and when you do that, then come follow me. Then I will know that I have your heart, because that's really what Jesus wants. He wants our heart. He doesn't just want us physically to be following him or act like we're following him, but he wants our heart, and he can see that. Okay. The passage that precedes that chapter, or that part of this chapter 10, is in verses 13 through 16. And it deals with the children coming to Jesus. And it's one that sometimes we share at baby dedications or child dedications where um, the parents are bringing their kids to Jesus and the disciples kind of get indignant about this and they're waving them off like, no, 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 no. Jesus has more important things to do. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Let them come to me. And so in verse 15, he says, truly... I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a what? Like a child shall never enter it. You, you, you have to have kind of this, this, this child-likeness in your life. You need to realize that in your life, that it's not uh, a sense of childish actions, but childlike actions. And there's a big difference between that. Not childish, but childlike. Kind of the sense of this dependence upon something or someone, this innocence that you come to God with. I was sharing the story of the rich young ruler a number of years ago in our crosswalk congregation. And as I was, there was a mom and a son sitting on the front row. 
And um, he was a little boy, probably five or six years of age. And uh, he had all the energy of a five and six-year-old trying to sit through a boring passage, right? A boring sermon. So I was trying to keep it alive and that type of thing. And I could tell that even though, you know, he was squirming, he was dropping his pencil and other things like that, he was listening. I could tell he was, he was, he was tuning in and he was getting it. And I, and I, this was confirmed where after the message, we often took the offering across the walk. That's the way we've, we've done it over there. And um, the offering went by and he put something in. And, and I knew this, and I think everybody in the whole gym knew this, because he whispered to his mom in an offstage kind of a whisper. He said, hey, mom, I put in a dollar. Yeah. <laughs> like that. And I was sitting across the aisle, and I just kind of looked over, and I smiled. I gave him the thumbs up, because, because, you know, I look at that, and I say, what a childlike thing to do, Right? Now, if any of you put in a dollar and look and smile and try and get someone else to approve you, that's childish, okay? We don't want that, okay? Not childish, but childlike, childlike, in innocence. Uh, uh, you know, that may have been everything that he had on that day. That was a sense of uh, his dependence was, was giving over, and he wanted mom to know about it. What an innocence to kind of take Jesus at his word, sell everything, give everything, and then come and follow me. Now compare that childlike attitude to the childish attitude that this rich young ruler, this rich young man had in his life. I mean, in verse 17, we see him saying, what must I do? And so there's this sense of self-effort that he has. And he goes on and calls Jesus a good teacher. And it's almost as though he's, you know, wanting to be lumped in with him. You know, you're a good teacher. I'm a good teacher. So there's a sense of self-assurance that he's trying to gather about himself. And in verse 20, he says, you know, I've kept all those commands. And so there's a sense of self-righteousness that he is talking about. And there's a self-centeredness when he walks away and he won't sell his possessions and give them to the poor. And so you have this, this self-effort, the self-assurance, the self-righteousness, the self-centeredness. There's even a sense of self-sufficiency because Jesus later says in verse 25 that, you know what, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And so what Jesus sees is there's this, this, this self is in this man's equation. It's about himself, about himself, it's about himself. But the truth that Jesus gives, look at, with me now in verse 27. It says, Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. What Jesus is saying is that it is not about you. It's not about me. We could never be good enough. We could never get ourselves there. It is all about our total dependency upon him. And specifically, he's talking now about this rich young ruler, and he's saying, what is keeping you from me? May it be your stuff. Is that what's keeping you from a full-fledged following relationship with me? See, Jesus wasn't trying to be a killjoy in life. He simply knew that the man needed to be more dependent upon God, needed to be fully dependent upon God if he was to have eternal life. But also if he was to have a life here and now. When your stuff gets in the way of your relationship with God, it keeps you from having the full life that God wants you to have. That's why in verses 28 and, uh, through 30, that Jesus kind of gets at this and he talks about this because he never intends for us to kind of to be this, you know, just this afterthought into heaven. 
He never intends for us to be this recluse kind of hermit in this kind of life and, you know, just being denying ourselves and doing nothing and we can never have any joy in life just so that we can have joy in the next life. I don't think that's Jesus' intention at all. In fact, this life, I fully intend, I fully believe he intends for this life to be a rewarded life. He intends for this life to be a life that is blessed, that our faith makes a difference in this life too, not just the life to come, but he wants to bless us in this life as well. And so when you become a follower of Jesus, when you step into that relationship with him, you begin living in a different way. You begin living for different things. You begin living for someone else. You begin living, and it's as though Jesus says, you begin living right at that moment when you choose to follow me, and your life is never going to end. It, not, it doesn't end when you die here. It goes on forever. And your following me is not just for the afterlife, but it's here and now. And there are blessings that I can give to you. And so we ask the question then, why does it get so complicated? Why is it so hard? I'll tell you why. Because um, we fill our lives with ourself. With our self, 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 and our stuff, stuff, stuff. You trace back most of your issues in life. And it's either got you in there or it's got your stuff in there that is keeping you from fully committing to a relationship with Jesus. We forget and we live our own way. We don't chase after the things of God. We chase after our stuff. We chase after ourselves. True life begins when we come to the end of ourselves and we come to the end of our stuff. Amen? Amen. Amen. We need to be reminded about that constantly. In fact, I think that's what our offering does on Sunday mornings. It's one of those reminders that, God, this is from you. Boom, I'm giving this back out to you. That's why we do the Caring Christmas Tree. That's why we do the Thanksgiving dinners. That's why we reach out. And it's not about us. It's about how we can bless others as well. And so um, the story goes on. And um, it says in verse 28, let me kind of finish the, uh, follow this thought out of 27 to 28. Remember, Jesus just said, with man it's impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Then it says in verse 28, Peter began to say to him, uh, Jesus, look around us. We have left everything to follow you. And what I like about Peter's admission here is that uh, it's not conditional. It's not this sense of, you know, if I do this, then God, you're going to do this, right? You ever played that game with God, right? If I, then you, right? If I give this money, then you will, whatever. If I work at this relationship in this way, then you will. If I take this job, then you will. If I do this, you'll get me this job. We, we play that game, don't we? That's a condition type of game. Peter didn't play that. Because we see him saying, we've already given this all up. Look around. We are here. We are following you, Jesus. Look, we are already here. We're not expecting those rewards. And watch what happens. He didn't put conditions on this because it wasn't about him. It wasn't about his stuff. Jesus then goes into a passage where he shares about some of the rewards that he wants for his disciples and for his followers. But hear me on this, please. It is not about just getting those rewards. 
it is not about trying to be blessed or getting approval from people. I think that we just need to start doing Here's what true followers need to do. We need to start doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Amen? Amen? We need to start doing the right thing because it's the God thing to do. And that's what Jesus puts before us. However, when we do the right thing because it's the right thing to do, when we do the right thing because it's the God thing to do, when we do the right thing because the Holy Spirit has spoken to us and it comes out and we do it the right way, God just loves to come along and say, let me bless your life. But those blessings may not be in the ways that we often see them. Those blessings can be in more abstract ways. They can be very concrete, but they can also be a little bit abstract way. But it begins with us saying, okay, God, this area and in this area and in this area, I need to fully be following you. I'm not, I need to. Now, how do we determine what those areas are? Well, the Holy Spirit speaks to us. I think you hear through a message on Sunday morning. I pray that speaks. I pray as you open up God's word, that speaks. I also know that God puts people in our lives to speak in that way. Let me share one story about this. Um, uh, in this idea of we need to start doing the right thing because it's the right thing and the God thing to do, um, I had a conversation with a good friend uh, last year when our Crosswalk congregation was going through the Not a Fan series. And I was out to lunch with him, and he was talking to me about a friend that he had been bringing to the church. And uh, I, I knew the friend as well, and the friend um, had made a decision to follow Christ. He started coming to the church, and probably two or three months into it, he decided, yep, that's what I want to do. I'm sold out to this. The friend had made a decision to follow Christ. The friend had been baptized, and we celebrated that baptism with him. That friend was in the Not a Fan study as well, and going through it, and hearing all that we had been going through. And it was kind of towards the end of the Not a Fan study. And so I was having this conversation with this friend about this other friend that he had brought, and, um, and in the course of our conversation, he said, well, you know, my friend has just moved in with his girlfriend and da 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 da, da. And as soon as I heard that, um, you know, the alarms went off and I thought, uh, hold on a second, let's back up there. Tell me what you just told me. He said, well, yeah, you know, living with the girlfriend, da, da, da. And I thought, okay, that means what I think it means because, you know, where that all goes. And um, I thought... Um, do you think the friend knows that Jesus has called him to a different place in that relationship? Do you think that your friend knows that Jesus has called him out of that and that's not the step that he should be taking? There's other options that he can be doing and he needs to honor God in that relationship as well. And the friend looked up back at me and said, uh, I'm not sure. And I said, then one of the two people at this table needs to go talk to that friend. And I said, so he can either have an awkward conversation with his good friend, or he can have a really awkward conversation with his pastor. So, which do you think would be better here, right? <laughs> Just kind of put that out there. I don't mind having those conversations, and I'll tell you why. Because I want to be one of those, you got food on your face kind of friends, right? We talked about that a few weeks ago. You got food in your face, I want to be a friend who says, hey, knock that off. We're not all going to laugh at you. I'm going to talk to you, not about you, all right? You got lettuce in your teeth, let's get that out, all right? We need to do that. We need to do that in love, though. We need to do that in love. And so the friend said, um, yeah, let me go talk to him. Let me go talk to him. And so he prayed about it. He approached his friend in love. He said, hey, you've been coming around here for a while, and you've been baptized now, and you've been a follower of Jesus, and you're hearing all that we're going over. Uh, this area of your life is not congruent with what you believe. And that friend called me back that next day, and he said, I spoke to him. And he got it. 
He thanked me. And he's taken steps out of that relationship. In fact, I tell you that story because I talked to the friend this week. I talked to both those guys this week. And I said, is it okay if I share your story? They said, yeah. They're, they're both here today. In fact, they're both serving here today. Because they're the kind of guys who say, we want those kind of people in our lives. We want to follow Jesus. We don't want to make it just about, you know, what is theory and beliefs and such. We want to put this in everyday practice. And that's what I hope you have in your life as well. Because when we do the right thing, it allows God to open up doors of blessings for us. Don't do it for the blessing. Don't do it for the approval. Don't do it because you have to. But do it because God is telling you this is the right thing to do. And what's interesting is now in this passage, Jesus talks about how God can bless. Look at what it says, the rewards in verse 29 and 30. Peter has just said, see, we have left everything to follow you. Look at verse 29. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or lands, for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold, now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. See, we're often fed this line that if you're going to follow Jesus, it's going to all be suffering. And now I can't say it's going to be all the other way. I can't say you're always going to have a bed of roses. We, We know that. But please hear this. This is not just about this horrible, wow, my life is going to be a drag kind of experience. Sometimes it can be that way because we're in, we're in battle with the world and what Satan wants. And we're in battle and conflict with others who maybe don't want God's blessings in our lives. But if it's for God and if God sees our, our hearts in the midst of it, he looks at us and he says, who's to say that I cannot bless you a hundredfold? Now, those blessings may not always be in the way that we think they are. Those blessings may not just be, you know, I give a dollar here and I'm blessed back with $100 over here. Although that can happen. Please hear me on this. In fact, when I taught this to our crosswalk congregation, I actually did. I said, does anybody have a dollar or a $10 bill that I can have? And I took that money and I kind of kept it for a while and I taught this lesson. And then at the end of it, I gave them back 10 times whatever they gave to me. And they probably wished they had given me $100, so I'd give them back $1,000, right? But, but I don't teach that lesson anymore because I went poor teaching that lesson. So, but you get the point here, right? Right? That, that if God wants to do that, he can. And in many ways, he is even talking about that because he says, who has left house or brothers or mother. He, he's talking about things in our lives, but he's also talking about relationships in our lives. In fact, as you look at verse 28, Peter kind of says, you know what, we've left all this, all this material items, and so Jesus kind of enters back into this conversation talking about homes and brothers and sisters and mother and father and fields and such. And so if we take him at his word, yes, Jesus is saying, you know what, you give up a dollar for me, who's to say I cannot give you $100 back? Why couldn't I reward you with, with, with 50, 75, 100 times as much? But look at your relationships too. What if you give up brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and children for me? Why couldn't I bless you with 10, 20, 50, 100 times as much in full in those ways? You know, a very practical way that happens with, I think, missionaries. 
Missionaries who serve overseas um, have a difficult time times being away from their relatives, especially at this, this time, uh, holiday time. But you hear the missionaries talk about the blessings. You hear them talk about the fullness. You hear them talk about what it means to serve and to give up and how God has more than provided. I think of some of you who are in small groups right now. Some of you would probably say, you know, I don't have much of a relationship with my mom or my dad or my brothers and sisters. Some of you have even had to have a division there because you have chosen to follow Jesus instead of following what your parents would say or brothers or sisters. And most of the time it's not a disowned type of thing. It's just more of a subtle kind of, well, now we have differences and we don't do things as much anymore. But you know what God has done for many of you? He has filled you up with other group members. He has filled you up with people who I've heard many of you say that I am closer to my spiritual brothers and sisters than I am to my biological brothers and sisters. And so God somehow brings those blessings into our lives. I think think some of the blessings we might not remember are directly from God. Some of the things that we have in our lives right now, like when we follow Him wholeheartedly, we don't have to deal with the consequences of sin in a bad relationship. We don't have to deal with the consequences of sin in a marriage relationship. Or even for those of you who are dating right now, when you know that it's not the direction you should go, when you step out of that relationship and say, God, I don't want to do it that way because that's the world's way. I want to do it the way you want me to do it. I think God blesses that. He blesses you with whole and fuller relationships, more godly relationships. In fact, let me uh, show you a video of one instance where this happened. Um, last year, we came alongside a gal who's been going to UOP for a while, and now she comes over here to the sanctuary. She's going to graduate in May. Her name is Brittany Callamacarian. And um, she uh, gives testimony on this video of how she was going down the road with a relationship that she knew was not God-honoring, and she knew what God wanted her to do about that. And so let me just have you listen to her story, and then I'll finish it up at the end. I was born and raised in the church. Um, My parents were believers, and so was my entire family, and I was really grateful for that. You know, I went to church, went to Sunday school, and I had my friends there. You know, we went on church family retreats, and we went camping with the church, BBS, Sunday school. We did all that. It was a lot of fun, and it was great memories, great experience. But, you know, when I came to high school, I started going on missions trips. I went to Mexico twice, went to church camp, um, you know, continued making friends. And I kind of started to understand what it meant to have a relationship with God. I, I just brushed the surface, though. You know, I was just doing the college thing. Then, the end of my freshman year, I met a girl, Melody Nash, um, and she brought me to Crosswalk, and I've been coming here ever since, and it's been great. We immediately bonded. I joined a sorority that she was also in, and we became the two church girls in the house. Then I met a guy. I knew him from home, and it was awesome. We knew each other from church, actually. We grew up at church together, and he came to UOP. He was a year older. Um, we started dating. Um, at the time, he was like me before I met Mel. He was one. So he hadn't gotten plugged back in yet. He um, didn't have that growing, deep relationship. 
that, um, that I was starting to have. That summer, um, this weird feeling came about that something wasn't right. And I kept trying to deny it and ignore it because I was happy. You know, I had the guy that I wanted, I had the friends, I had um, school, everything was going fine, except God just wouldn't give up. He was persistent until I listened. I went to a wedding and saw how important it was to have Christ as the central point of a relationship. And I lost it. I realized that God wanted me to give my relationship with my boyfriend to him. That was really hard for me because I wanted to hold on to it so tightly because I didn't want it to let, didn't want to let it go. I wanted to keep smiling and laughing and just going on the way I had been for the past six months. Except, you know, God broke me down. Literally, I broke down. <laughs> and night after night, I had to just accept it and ask God what to do. And in the end, He said, it's mine and, you know, I need all of you. And right now, I don't have that. You know, I believed in God because that's why I grew up believing. But I wanted to know why I believed not just because my parents told me or because, you know, my grandparents did. I wanted to know God and to have a personal relationship with Him. So I let go. I had to break up with Him as hard as it was because He was a great guy. There was nothing wrong with Him. That was the hardest part. Um, but I had to do it. I had to follow what God was asking me to do. And I did. And to this day, I'm still thankful that I did it. He's still thankful because, you know, afterwards, um, I came to the decision that I wanted to get baptized. And um, last October, I got baptized here at First Baptist. And it was an amazing experience. It was me professing that my faith is my own and taking that next step. My name is Bernie Calumcarian, and I am not a fan. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, here's the rest of that story. Is um, about three or four weeks ago, she walked up the stairs uh, into the sanctuary here, and she introduced me to uh, a young man that she said she'd been dating. And I finally put the pieces together that it was the same person that she had broken up with. But after they had broken up, she said it was kind of a restart. And God purified her heart to do it right. And God purified his heart to say, all right, I need to follow Jesus too and do this right. And so Brittany will say now that that was her restart. And that, you know, I look at that now and say that is a reward that God gave to her. To say, do it the right way. You, you could have done it your own way and done it and stumbled over yourself and maybe made more problems for yourself, but to pull back and say, okay, God, I'm going to do it this way. And she didn't know if that guy was going to still be in her life. She was giving that up because she was following Jesus. Since here, like Peter and the disciples, we've given it up. We've given up everything. She said, okay, God, if that's what you want. And God just brought it back, brought him back into her life. I look at those, and, and hear me, that does not always happen. I realize that. 
But understand that when we follow Jesus wholeheartedly, we don't have to deal with the consequences of sin and the way that we get into our relationship with God or we stumble in that relationship of trying to have our own desires. We have better relationships. We have better marriages, hopefully. We, we, we don't have the pride. When you put your pride aside in your workplace, doesn't that make work easier for everyone? When, when, you, when you don't have to face the struggles of addictions of drugs and alcohol, isn't there a reward in that, that you're not having to face those demons in your life when you say, okay, God, I need to get that and turn that over to you as well? I was at... Um, our family was at the home a number of years ago of, uh, of a friend who lives in another town, and it's kind of a well-to-do town, and um, the friend had just come from his friend's house that night, and he had kind of been over there helping between the relationship between husband and wife, and um, he was saying they were facing some struggles, they were going through some things, and he said, yeah, the husband over there right now is just drunk as can be, just wasted, just, just plastered. And I thought about it, because it was a Tuesday night. And I thought about what Michael J. Fox said. If you remember Michael J. Fox, a movie star, he did a lot of um, family ties and uh, Back to the Future movies and such, and he struggled with, with alcoholism and, and his own addictions in his life. Michael J. Fox said this one time. He said, you know you have a problem when you're saying, I can get through today without taking a drink, and it's only Tuesday. The weekend hasn't even come. I thought about that. I thought about how... When we, when we struggle with those demons of alcoholism, then our lives are just emptier. But when we don't, when we give that to God too, then we don't have to deal with that. That's a reward. That's a blessing. And for those of you who are struggling with that challenge or other challenges, and we all have something that we're struggling with, it may be overtly, it may be covertly, it may be something that everybody knows about, it may be something that only you and God know about. Jesus steps into that and says... I have way more for you than whatever that is. I have way more for you than those thoughts that take you to a place of depression or those actions that take you to a place of hurting yourself. I have so much more for you than that relationship that looks so good or that job that you feel like is the one that you want, but that's not the one that I want for your life. I have so much more for you. Now, will there be hardships? Yeah, the pastor talks about it. There's even going to be some sense of persecution. That's going to be about. It's a part of life. Those things come about thing about this is, is that Jesus finalizes the deal. He doesn't just deal with the sins and each of those little sins that we struggle with or we face. He deals with sin in general. He takes care of it. He took it to the cross. He says, you can be victorious over that. <laughs> Don't forget that. I have dealt with this. I have crucified it to the cross and you no longer are a servant to it. Follow me and we will do this together. Follow me in my ways and we will walk through this. I have taken care of those consequences. However, the choice is still yours every day. Yes, we say we follow him. Yes, we've given our lives to him. Great. But he still wants us to pick up that cross daily and follow. Daily we follow him. He's never going to force us. God is too much of a gentleman to force us to do things. He wants that to come from you. He wants what's best for us. And he wants to bless us. Let, let, let me read this verse again. These two verses. Again, 29 and 30. Act as though Jesus was right here speaking to you today, because he is through his spirit. Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake 
and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. That's good news. That is good news. Sometimes those rewards are in relationships. Sometimes those may be financially. Sometimes, sometimes they may be an inner peace. Sometimes they may be things that we take for granted. But God has blessed in so many ways. Jesus is saying, man, following me, there are blessings here and in the life to come. So what are you living for? What are you living for? See, this rich young ruler, he's kind of our poster child of a fan, right? When he comes at this, he has a choice to follow, and he doesn't. You know who the loser in that was? The loser was not God's kingdom, although the kingdom would have been further along if he would have joined in. The loser was him. God's kingdom continues to go forward. This man was the one who lost the reward. This man was the one who lost the blessing. In fact, we never hear from him again. Nowhere in Scripture do we see this man pop back up and say, oh, you know what, I thought about it again, I want to be a follower. Nowhere is that ever written about. Nowhere is that mentioned. And so I just kind of believe that, you know what, he probably still hung around Jerusalem. He still hung around where Jesus was doing things. And I believe that he knew and he had heard about the reputation of Jesus. And I believe that he even heard about more miracles that Jesus did. I believe he probably even heard about the crucifixion of Jesus and then he heard about the resurrection of Jesus. I think he probably even heard about how 3,000 followers came to know Jesus at Pentecost. And I wonder, I just wonder, if he was one of those who heard about that and thought, you know what Peter said? That could have been me. I could have been doing that for the kingdom. I could have been doing that for more of a greater cause than my own bank account and my own stuff. I could have been one of those guys. I could have been one of those disciples like Peter, James, and John. I could have been mentioned in the same breath. Peter, James, and John, and Biff, or whatever his name was. I don't know. But I could have been there. You know, right? Right? I could have been one of the ones that parents want to name their kids after. Biff. Anybody here named Biff? Right? Didn't think so. Right? But how many of you here are named anywhere in your first or your middle name? Peter, James, John, Matthew. How many of you got some sort of names like that? Yeah, yeah. Many of us do, sure. Yeah, you're named after them. No, Biff. There's no Biff around there. Biff left. Biff, Biff was gone. Instead of being able to count the 3,000 who were saved at Pentecost, he was probably home counting his bank accounts. And where did that get him? Where did that get him? Man, we miss so much when we don't follow God in his ways. Jesus says, don't be owned by your stuff. Don't be owned by yourself. Come to the end of yourself. Come to the end of your stuff. Then come and follow me. And you know what the worst part about some of this here is? Is I'm not even sure the man hung around to hear the rewards and the blessing. I think he left. And Jesus pulled his disciples in and said, hey guys, it's not conditional. I think if that guy followed me now, it would still have been conditional. You guys have already done it. You guys have already given up your stuff. You guys have already said it's gone. You're not looking for the reward. But Jesus just kind of slips on in and says, who's to say that I can't bless you in all this? 
Who's to say that this is not just for the future, but it can be for the here and the now as well? You know, this last week, um, our church lost one of our dear, dear saints. Uh, Sharon Hope has been ill for a number of months, has had cancer, tumor on the brain, and this last uh, Friday, she stepped into eternity. And think about Sharon and her life. She didn't care about her finances. She didn't care about the material stuff around. She um, served in so many ways. And I, as I went to the home and visited with the family and people were coming and going, I, I just like, wow, how'd you know Sharon? How'd you know Sharon? How'd you? She just got all over. She just loved to serve. She loved to counsel. She loved to help people. In fact, in our small group, we're hearing people say, yep, she helped save my marriage. She helped save my relationship. She helped save. There were so many things that she did. I think about her life now and, and how, you know, when you see on a tombstone, you see the dates. And you say, you know, 1963 to 2013, whatever it may be. And there's always that little dash in there. That's your life. That dash is your life. It is short. And you have a choice. What are you living for? Are you living for your stuff? Are you living for yourself? Are you living for a faith that makes a difference now and in the life to come? See, the rich young ruler, he walked. We never hear from him again. The disciples, they jumped in with both feet, and they are accused of turning the world upside down. And then there's First Baptist. Which side are you on? Where do you want to go? What do you want to do? God's not going to force you to. He's saying, come follow me. I have so many riches and blessings for you. I pray you see that, especially even at this Thanksgiving time, of the ways that God has blessed us in so many ways, that you will see those as blessings. Because I hope that you're those kind of people. Not conditional because of it, but I hope you're those kind of people who God just says, look how I can bless because you're following, you're following, you're following me.